Good afternoon, my friends. Happy Wednesday. The doctor is in the house. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. Oh my goodness. Hey, I'm so excited to be here today to continue to, to continue this health revolution, to keep the messaging going. Again, we're here today talking about building trust and delivering truth. And I tell you what, today's topic, it's so personal to me. Me and my family, my wife and I, we're talking about occupational therapy today. And as you guys have been following me on Facebook this week, I, I let loose a video the other day of me and my daughter and telling her, telling you guys about her story of dealing with occupational therapy. We'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm just so excited to have people here today and all my guests truly care, but, but occupational therapists truly care about your health and your well-being. They try to get you to the maximal level of functioning possible to enjoy life to the highest of abilities. And when I talk about it takes a village, it's so true. Me as a physician, yes, I try to surround myself with, with resources, with colleagues, other healthcare practitioners that can help out our patients each and every way possible. And occupational therapists, I was like, I gotta come with a show for occupational therapists Hashtag OT month, by the way, use that on social media, because they, they, what they do is just so important. We've all been impacted by occupational therapy. You may, not, you may know somebody, you may have a family member or friend that's had a health challenge. Uh, you may have a child that's developing that needs some more guidance and needs some more foundational tools. But we can all be touched by occupational therapy. And so I wanted to have this show for them to be a tribute and to really recognize their contributions to overall health. And I want you guys to share this message. Here we are in April, National Occupational Therapy Month, hashtag OT month on social media. Please share this message. What we talk about today does not have to end today. It needs to keep going. We have to have these conversations all the time. And we're gonna be in your face today, and that's a good thing, because we're gonna make sure you have the resources to do well. If you have somebody that you're caring for, somebody that's been sick, somebody that's been diagnosed with something, I want you guys to be comfortable not only talking with your physician, but comfortable asking your physician for resources uh, to, to, to help you and your family member live life to the fullest. So I'm so excited to welcome my trusted and esteemed and fierce occupational therapist. Again, my name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician practicing out of Edward Hospital in Bolingbrook, Illinois, where my clinic's at, the hospital's in Naperville. But I'm so excited to be here today. Today's episode is entitled Occupational Therapist to the Rescue. You guys are going to meet my guests in a few moments. You're watching us here live on Facebook. You're watching us on intellectual radio as well, too. And we're just, we're just happy to bring a message of engagement to everyone out there. How the show works, of course, you guys know how it is. Those that have been following us for a long time, you guys get to meet my guests. I ask them a lot of questions, but we really set the record straight. I mean, these questions are things that we can all take away from today's conversation. And of course, towards the end of the show, we get into my awesome myths versus facts. Those of you that have been following us all the time, you guys know what I'm talking about. I got some good myths versus facts today, so we're going to talk about it. But I'm just so excited to have everybody here today. I want to give a quick shout out to our goal level sponsor, Suburban Gastroenterology LTD. Check them out at www.sgihealth.com. So before we get in and meet our guests, I want to hit you guys with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at 
www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So we're going to get into it today. Again, I talked about how, how occupational therapy has touched me, and I'm going to share my story after you guys meet our, our, our colleagues today. But everybody's got a story out there. That's the great thing about this show is we get like-minded people together. Uh, I have an awesome panel today, and they're going to share their reasons, their journeys, how they got into this field of occupational therapy, and what does it mean to them on a daily basis. And we're going to talk again, how can we collectively lift each other up to get to our health goals, and occupational therapists are with you through and through. So without further ado, I want to introduce my panel. I'm so excited. I already said you guys are hashtag fierce because it's true. Uh, so I want to make sure, I say that every week, but I really, really mean that this week. I mean, I really do. And so our panel is great, so I want to just make sure that everybody gets acknowledged. And I want you guys to just, I want you guys out there to know that these individuals are here in your corner to help you with your health. So immediately to my right, my first guest, I want to introduce her. And again, her credentials are deep. Everybody's credentials are deep today. So my first guest, I want to uh, introduce her. Her name is Mar, Mar Chioka. She's an occupational therapist with Edward Elmer's Health. You can check her out at www.eehealth.org. Mara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I uh, am happy to be here, and uh, I've been an occupational therapist for about 12 years. I specialize in working with uh, neurologic patients. I uh, work a lot with vision and cognition, and I did uh, my schooling over at Valparaiso for my undergrad, and then I went to Midwestern University for my graduate program. So I'm thrilled to be here and can't wait to see what the conversation brings today. Excellent. I want to ask you a quick follow-up question. What made you go into occupational therapy? Sure. Um, when I was actually 13, um, I had a pretty significant medical event, and I had um, OT, PT, and speech, and I was so inspired by my OT um, that from that point on, um, I have been driven to do this. So it's been great. I've been it for 12 years and just had having the best time meeting so many people and feeling like I've been able to do so much and use what I learned to help others. Excellent. And I love that message of, of paying it forward uh, without a doubt. And again, everybody's got their story. We talk about that a lot. And I think the thing about what we do on Tear Up with Dr. G is, is you guys get to meet people that take care, not only a lot of my patients, but people that can be taking care of family members. They all have a story, a story to tell. Uh, and again, I want, as healthcare practitioners, I want people to know out there that we are accessible. And I don't, I mean, if there's any walls that are up there, this show is about breaking down those walls to get you the right answers for your family's needs. So thank you, Mar, for coming on out today. We're going to talk more in a, in a little bit. I want to introduce my next panelist, also hashtag fierce. I'm just going to keep using that. Uh, uh, she and I connected through uh, a mutual acquaintance through the school districts. And so I want to introduce Melissa Chorney. She's an occupational therapist with Naperville District 203 Schools. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you do your training and kind of what this theme today means to you? Well, ironically, I, um, I didn't find out about occupational therapy until later in life. I actually went to school. My undergrad is in English education and psychology from Elmhurst College. And then didn't know what I wanted to do by like the third day of student teaching. I knew it wasn't teaching English, but I wanted to help people. I knew that that was like internal in me that I was driven. And out of, I don't know, fate, I ended up just taking a job in Hawaii and hanging out while I figured it out. And I met an amazing OT named Lisa Parker that I have to acknowledge because she impacted me so much by saying like, the things I was doing, I was working as a skills trainer in schools and implementing what OTs were doing. So at the time, I thought, 
like, oh, this is really neat. And she described everything to me. And she's like, what you're expressing is like what OTs do. And I thought it was amazing that like there's this profession that just allows fun to happen with these kids so that they can access their roles. Um, so I went and did my med, I went back to Chicago, did my undergrad or my master's at Midwestern University with Mara. And then I just finished my doctorate dissertation two years ago, about six weeks after my daughter was born. All right, so, you were busy, <laughs> busy. But, but but still feeling engaged mm -hmm. in what you're doing, and really, do you get a sense of, of fulfillment and, and feel like you're you're fulfilled and completed by choosing this pathway? Yeah, I think. I mean, I had a, a professor that would say, "OT is dreaming," and in grad school, I was always hearing that, and I thought it was the best thing to hear. But it truly is because it's such a profession that allows you to do anything you want and use what's meaningful to people. So to be able to recover using a meaningful activity and then also being able to do like this play with kids so that they could access what they need to do to be independent, it's just, it's a spectacular profession. Well, well, I tell you what, I'm a big kid at heart, so we're gonna talk a little bit about some of the ways how technology's been used to help out with uh, a lot of our young people, but also people of all walks of life using technology to help them out for recovery for a, very, a whole host of conditions. So thanks for coming out today, Melissa, me. and we're going to talk some more in a bit. My last guest, she and I connected. It's so funny because um, because I've actually seen her name. This is our first time meeting. Uh, we talked, to, talked, we met recently, uh, but it's our first time actually meeting face to face. But I've seen your name uh, many times on patients of mine. And it's interesting how the world brings us together because a lot of times since we do kind of practice in our kind of silos, the reality is that sometimes you don't put a face to anything. So I'm so happy to finally connect, but I've seen your name and I've seen my name. And so it's great that we connect. This is how the universe is bringing people together. So I want to welcome my last guest here today. Let me read her credentials because her credentials run deep as well too. Susan Santilli, she's an occupational therapist with Edward Elmer's Health. Check her out at www.eehealth.org. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, please tell us a little exciting. bit about yourself and where you do your training and kind of what today's theme means to you. Sure. Um, actually, I went to school at Mount Mary College. At the time it was college, now it's upgraded to university status, and I'm proud of that. It's an all-girls private Catholic college. I graduated in 1977. I'm going to let all of you just do the math. <laughs> Go ahead. And I still love what I do. Uh -huh. In those days, OTs were um, generalists. That's what I called myself then, generalist. And there were some kids. And not just about, that's probably about it, I think. But anyway, um, how did I get into this? Or the, the desire is... I kind of come from a, a bit of a, a medical family background, and so I saw, I heard, I heard the walk, I saw the walk, I heard the talk, and I just kind of want to help people, and I knew that. Um, then also, at one point, I thought I'd be a nurse, but I had a next door neighbor who was an occupational therapist, and she she made me see the light. <laughs> And so that was great. <laughs> well, we all have that kind of aha mm -hmm. moment. I've yeah. shared on this show before. I, I knew I wanted to be a physician at age nine, and so I was kind of an early starter. But our pathways uh, go from point A to point B in life are not necessarily a straight line, and you guys have just kind of outlined that. But your journey's kind of gotten you all here to this point to be able to help people in a fulfilling way uh, and asking nothing for return and just knowing that 
that you feel satisfied in helping others. So you, know, you all are truly driven. Hey, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, uh, my good colleague, Amy Vaughn, who's an occupational therapist uh, and Naperville Clinical Coordinator at Easter Seals DuPage in Fox Valley. She helped me out on some of the pre-show campaign. So I want to give a quick shout out to her contributions to helping us uh, put on this show today. So thank you, Miss Amy. So now that you guys have met the panel, uh, really, and hearing their story, where they, where they come from, let's get into some of the questions. So how everything works, you just met everybody. Really what I like to do is kind of call it the chief complaint. So when somebody comes into the medical practice, in my practice, or they're coming in to visit any of our colleagues here on the panel today, they're coming in for a reason. So that's what we call the chief complaint. Uh, and I could kind of retweak that to the question or situation of the hour. So here's the question or situation of the hour. The role of the occupational therapist, OTs, is often misunderstood. As such, how do we create more awareness that OTs are critical members of the overall healthcare team? And again, this show is for them, but it's also for you out there. Again, hashtag OT Month on social media. So I want to ask this question to, uh, to Mara, just to keep it down simple. Let's break it down in simple terms. What is an occupational therapist? Well, occupational therapist is many things, but um, I think that from my perspective, we all specialize in function. So our, you know, our goal is to look at the daily activities, not that just what we have to do during our day, but what we want to do. And how can we work together as a team, meaning you know, patients, families, physicians, other team members, to help those patients achieve their goals of functioning at the highest level that they would like to function at. Excellent. So I, I really think like when I, when I, and I, and I, and I can admit to saying it, I did not know much about OTs when I got into medical school. Uh, and the reality is uh, all, all, all I thought was that, hey, OTs just make casts. And, and, and it was such, such a naive uh, perspective on mine at that time, but I didn't know any better and I didn't have any contact with OTs uh, at that point in my life. Uh, and then not until I started working with OTs uh, did I really understand the vast uh, um, things that are out there that you all do, uh, the array of health conditions that are treated, it's basically, f anything is essentially fair game, and that's what I've learned over the years with OT. Anything's fair game. Like, I always kind of say when people come in and see me in the office, nothing's off topic. I'd rather have somebody say something versus not say anything. OTs, you guys just do everything, which, uh, which is awesome. And, and actually, Susan, as you mentioned, I'm asking this question. You know, you mentioned when you first started, you were kind of a generalist, kind of covering everything, and now it's kind of gotten more specialized. Exactly. Where, 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 and you've been through that evolution. Tell us a little bit more how that's kind of gone that way. Exactly. I guess I, I didn't tell you that I do have two specialties. One of them is upper extremity orthopedics. The other one... Um, is working with patients that have lymphedema. And I'm just going to make it simple by saying a lot of my lymphedema patients um, are mainly women, not all, but mainly women that have had breast cancer. And it's because of the cancer treatment that kind of can cause, doesn't have to, cause some lymphedema. We can get into that later, but and anyway, um, how... How's it evolved? That's okay. Hey, we're here just okay. having a conversation. Hey, how did, how's it evolved? Because you've lived through that evolution. You started out more generalist and then kind of moved okay. into a, kind of your niche. Right, uh, right. But how's exactly. that, that kind of happened? Okay. Um, way back when, you did the math already by now, way back when um, I think physicians were just starting to do um, specialties in um, hand specialties. 
fellowships, I guess, in, in specialties. And so they needed, splinting came about because there was a very good marriage needed between the doctor and the therapist. So that marriage said, okay, we just did this tendon repair. And so we need somebody to make a splint. And so it was us OTs. How that came about, I'm not sure, but I'm glad it did. And so you have to be really be able to think and see three-dimensional. You have to um, be able to be creative because what... So I love that aspect of it, the artsy part of it. I liked. I think about how people kind of present, and everybody's unique, and I always truly say it to my patients. Uh, yes, when I have a patient in the room with me, we're focusing on them, but you have to still think about people as part of a general population, but without losing that individuality that makes that person who they are. And so let me ask this question to you, uh, Melissa. How do you kind of approach that? I mean, we have a general assessment of something, and you work with a lot of children, but how do you kind of hone in and make it more tailored to that person? Um, I think that's what makes the professional, like what it is, is because I get to meet them, I get to work with them, and whether it's with the parents or through the kids, they're expressing what they enjoy, right? So let's say we're working on self-regulation and being able to access the role as a student, well, they really like Pokemon too. So we might use things that are motivating through Pokemon or like relate it to things that Pikachu might do and what he gets upset about or what Angry Birds get upset about so that there's a common language of how they feel relating to something that they like. Or you might do like an activity where, you know, an angry bird is upset, what can we use to calm them down and teaching them those skills through in those toys that they like. So each kid is different. Or if we look at, you know, kids that are working on fine motor or, you know, muscle tone, we might have them on a scooter and I know that they really like to move, they're busy, but they just have Easter and they love Easter egg hunts, so we'll be on a scooter board going looking for Easter eggs, we'll open them up, there might be a letter in there that they probably don't want to see, but they are excited that they got it, so then they'll write the letter. So just being able to really hone in on who they are and what their internal like drive is to, to be able to use that as the function of therapy session. I think as you're talking about just the creativity aspect, and that's one of the things that I, over the years I've gotten to very much appreciate about OTs and what they do. And, and, and you know, you have to have flexibility as, as, a, as a professional. You have to continue to evolve yourself. And you can't just kind of say, hey, I did this 25 years ago or 20 years ago. You have to kind of stay updated on, on, updated on things. Let me ask this question uh, tomorrow. How do you kind of stay up to date on things? Because, you know, you do a lot with neurology, and, and there's new guidelines, but there's new therapeutic approaches. How do you just kind of stay up to date on how you then address a particular patient and their particular need? Absolutely. It's, it's a constant, um, you're constantly learning, and you're learning from literature, you're learning from courses, you're learning from your potentially own research as well, and then from your patients. Um, you know, it's, we have this great ability to go to all different types of courses, that um, focus on, you know, for me, I, I like to go to those courses that help me practice, and so those neurologic courses are what I'm focusing on, um, but I will collaborate with um, neurology or other professionals that are, are, you know, innovative in the field, and, and that gives me ammo to help bring back to working with my clients. Um, and the clients always love to hear, you know, hey, the literature shows that, you know, repetitive movement or exercise helps release chemicals that help you um, with your recovery. They like to know why they're doing what they're doing. So if you can bring that back to them, it makes people more invested in um, why they're, they're doing what you're asking them to do. 
Um, so it's constantly, you're constantly learning, you know, the new technology and innovative stuff that's out there. Um, you you want to know, so you seek it, so that you can bring it back to the people who need it. Excellent. You know, it's interesting, I, I always talk about what OT, and the th great thing I love with, with you all doing is, as I mentioned earlier, that nothing's off topic. You can basically start at any age, uh, anybody that wants to gain uh, independence, higher level of functioning, <laughs> OT can certainly be used. And I wanted to share a story about my daughter, Ava, uh, who is amazing. <laughs> she is. I'm a proud dad. Uh, but my daughter, Ava, uh, was exposed to occupational therapy uh, due to kind of a pervasive food aversion issue. And, uh, and after we um, talked with our pediatrician and talked about some of the concerns we had as parents, he had suggested occupational therapy. And, and, and again, I still didn't know so many things that occupational therapy did at that time. And so we wound up taking our daughter, uh, connecting her with an occupational therapist, and it was so funny because at the time she called it food school. And the, the techniques that we were doing there uh, to help her with her food aversion issue, uh, you know, before she even ever kind of ate food, we were just playing with food. We didn't have food fights, and it was awesome. Uh, but, but it's interesting because I think like what you guys do a lot is, yeah, there may be some games, but there's actually a strategy behind that. Melissa, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Because so, you talked a little bit about some of the games that you're playing, but there's actually benefit that somebody may not know that's actually going on. Right, and I think, especially for kids, um, I agree with Mara, is that you should be explaining to them what you're doing, because I, I think even at a, a young age, there's buy-in when they understand we're doing this because of this, and this helps this. But I think that if they're engaged in the play, it takes their mind off of what the actual strategy is. So with motor planning, for example, like if they're thinking too much about it, we're not going to get the same results. So if it's spontaneous play where I'm having them go through an obstacle course, pick up something, bring it back to me, and then engage in that task, they think they're just having fun. And in reality, my entire thing is, okay, once they get that, I'm going to get them here. His mind will be off. It will do this. Um, but it should look like play because... It should, it should be something that is meaningful to them, and to be able to get those underlying components, you have to use what is the function that is purposeful to them. Uh, Susan, how do you really kind of communicate the message with the families that you're dealing with? Because you may see a patient who may, who may certainly be having a particular challenge. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I think about when I give some news to patients in my office, and, and a lot of times, we all, I mean, I always try to say to my patients, you're not leaving here today until we're always seeing eye to eye. But sometimes it just doesn't go as smoothly as that. And sometimes if you tell somebody something, the next thing you know, whether it's a challenging diagnosis, uh, you know, the brains turn off. Mm -hmm. And they're just thinking about, oh, my gosh. And it sounds like, wah, 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 as you're the clinician talking to them. But how do you kind of keep um, um, your, your patients informed of everything and really make sure that they understand what you're doing? Okay. Well... I agree. I think that we are, as occupational therapists, um, problem solvers. And sometimes, no, most of the time, I think there are about five different ways to do something. So I take a look at that patient, and maybe that person is going, I'm not buying this. And I'm angry right now because I cannot use my hand. I'm angry right now because I can't go to work, and I am the breadwinner here. Um, and so I try, through education, um, of what's wrong with that body part. Not getting too technical, because that's just going to go over their heads. And just relate it to them. And just show them pictures of here is the anatomy on the inside, under the skin. And I, I play little games by showing them, let's say again, if they cut 
the tendon in their finger and their finger, the flexor tendon, the bending tendon, and if it won't go up, the doctor puts it back together, but then it's our job, the patient and myself, to help fix that, making splints, okay? And they don't want to wear the splint either because, of course, that draws attention. So basically, long story short, I educate them on what went wrong, not how did it happen. The glass broke when I was washing dishes. Um, okay, yes, and my finger is cut. And now I have to play this eight-week, let's say, eight-week game of little by little, we can get this movement back. And so just to kind of ground them on, it's going to get better. And that, that doesn't work all the time. I wouldn't believe that either. So just showing them um, how their hand and how they heal, explaining how the body heals, it's, it can be slow. Um, if, that if they do what I say, <laughs> that they will start to see improvement. And that's the best thing. Because within a week or so, they're starting to see that improvement also, and then they're starting to buy it. Yeah, you so, call it the buy-in, and, mm -hmm. and we, we are results-driven yeah. as a as a society. We want right. to see instant gratifications, mm -hmm. but you also are being real at the same time. I talk to my patients right. all the time. you got to say, hey, let's have a goal. We're going to work to that goal together. There may be some bumps on the road, but we're going right. to get there with persistence. Exactly. Excellent. Well, let me ask this question to Tamara. Uh, you know, I want to you know, break it down in even simpler terms, all right? There we go. We're going to keep this straightforward. So what are some examples that people may not be aware of that actually OT is, is a reasonable intervention? You know, we talked a little bit about hand stuff, cutting the tendon. Uh, we talked a little bit about some school stuff. But, like, I want some more, like, classic examples of, like, when would OT be utilized uh, as an option for people that are out there listening to us that are still saying like, okay, this is my perception of occupational therapy, but let's get some common examples of when, when OT would be utilized. Now, my answer, of course, is every, every moment possible. <laughs> have done this. Well, let's get some specific examples. Sure. Um, it, it, you know, for, from a neurologic perspective, there's so many opportunities for occupational therapy, and I think oftentimes uh, I wish patients were referred a little bit sooner uh, because there's so much that we're able to do. So patients who've had strokes, and not just a stroke last month or two months ago, but, you know, chronic strokes from two years ago or three years ago, uh, brain injury, concussion, there's a whole, you know, movement of concussion um, with people who've had, you know, adults and children who've had, um, you know, issues with photosensitivity, light sensitivity, with thinking, returning to work, returning to school, um, other opportunity for occupational therapy, uh, vision training, people who have double vision, um, blurry vision that's newer to help make adaptations to return to independence. Those are all op opportunities for OT, um, brain, any brain surgeries, brain tumors, MS, uh, anything that, you know, is preventing someone from being able to complete their daily activities, those are really opportunities for OT. Excellent. Let me ask the same question to Melissa. In your realm and how you practice, what are some of the common things you see that would be beneficial by an intervention from OT? Um, what I think is, is great is that I think a lot of people assume that because you're in the school you do handwriting, but luckily I'm I'm surrounded by an amazing staff at Mill Street where they really believe in like the whole person. It's not just the academics. So we actually do like on a on a 
school-wide, we actually have movement tracks so that you can, I can build them with evidence that shows what the, what the protocol should be for being able to get that movement and then end in a regulated state. So we have those around the school in order to have all the kids have access to that in a, in a you know, global or you know, community. But then I do executive functioning. So if it's a kid that has a really messy desk and you have all your stuff all over the place, we work on like, how does that look? How do you, how do you organize yourself? Where do things go? And giving them the strategies in order to keep you know, organized, or at least for the most part. And then even just being able to plan, you know, your arrival routine, it could start with being able to help them how do I want engage a zipper or uh, unpack and also in an organized, organized manner so you don't have like a laptop sitting in the back of the room and then a code in the front of the room and then your, you know, I don't know, shoes are in the hallway, being able to help them organize. But then the fine motor component where we then work on also self-help skills, handwriting, um, then there's a visual motor. How do you help them be able to read with their messy, you know, messy array on a paper? How can I help them and give them strategies so that they can focus right there on the words they're looking at? And then I think a big one that um, Neighborville is doing at 203 is the social emotional learning. And I've had an opportunity to be a big part of that, of being able to teach not only kids on my caseload, but also within the school. How do we, how do we become great as a child with our well-being so that we're prepared to have those self-regulation tools as we are adults. So I've, I've enjoyed the position of being able to help with that and be able to teach them coping strategies, mindfulness, being able to do body checks of, you know, what does my body need, what is it telling me, and being able to, like, access my role as a student, a friend, and a, you know, classmate within, within the school. So it's, it's such a vast opportunity within one setting it makes a dynamic. That's awesome because it, t it just tells you about just the, uh, you know, the, the day, your day can be this and that and that mm -hmm. and that, and which is awesome because you're helping on so many different ways that people may not have thought of. Let me ask the same question to you, Susan. Uh, what are some common presentations that you see that, that would certainly be worthwhile for an occupational therapist to help out with? Sure. Um, I think I'm going to use an example of the tennis elbow problem and or a carpal tunnel syndrome which I think the world has heard of and the problem let's say with a tennis elbow like Mara had said about we need that patient to get in to see us sooner because unfortunately well I didn't go up this week so it doesn't hurt so I'm not going to the doctor yet and that goes on and on and on or the carpal tunnel can start out slow it usually does not start just full-blown and well, to, at this moment, my fingertips are tingling, or my hand must be getting weaker. And then it backs off, and then it gets worse, and so on. So I would love to be able to see that patient sooner. When they do come to me, it depends on what stage they're in, and that's okay. And I will educate them again about, A, how did this get there? And they're the ones who are going to tell me. And I ask them, what did you do today? And they're going to start telling me, well, I did this and this, 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 and this. Well, did you realize that the this and this were aggravators? And so I can educate them as to how to maybe not get to that point. I can provide them possibly with some kind of a positioning splint. Um, and a lot of people think that if I strengthen it, it will be better. And that takes care of a lot of problems, but no. So anyway, I want to educate them about it, and I wish I could see them a little sooner. And then also let them kind of go a stage farther and just say, you know, if this continues, this is what happens to the tissue. 
I don't try to scare them. I, they need to know. You have to be up front with your patients, yeah. and there's no doubt about that. I always try to tell my patients, we gotta just, we're going to be honest, yes. and, uh, and we're going to go from there. And I think honesty is the biggest thing that we have to value exactly. with our patients. And you want them, obviously, to be honest with you all, too. True. You know, uh, so you can get the right source, you know how to properly treat them. So I want to take a quick moment to acknowledge uh, uh, our great sponsor today, Suburban Gastroenterology, LTD. When, gastrointens when gastrointestinal problems are keeping you from living the life you love, Get the experience, leading-edge care, and individualized attention you deserve with the physicians at Suburban Gastroenterology. These specialists are experienced in treating disorders of the gastrointestinal system, liver, and pancreas. They are skilled in endoscopy, colonoscopy, and the newest techniques of advanced therapeutics. Their state-of-the-art endoscopy facility, Midwest Endoscopy Center, is conveniently located at the Suburban Gastroenterology location of 1243 Rickert Drive, Naperville, Illinois. Contact the practice today at 630-527-6450 or visit their website at sgihealth.com. Again, thank you, Suburban GI, for your support of the show. Uh, again, you're here. We're here today breaking down some occupational therapists. You're listening to us live here on Facebook. We're also at Intellectual Radio Studios. And I want to change the topic a little bit because we're, because we're talking about this awareness. And awareness is so key what we do. Here we are, and this is just kind of how the world, the universe worked. Uh, when we were planning out the show, I actually had no idea that this month of April was Occupational Therapy Month. And so it just turned out that it just worked that way, which is excellent. But the purpose of what we're doing today is to get awareness. So I want to talk about what do we need to do next? Where's occupational therapy going? So I want to ask Mara this. Um, you know, you've been in practice for a number of year, years now. You've seen some evolution. You've had to continue to evolve yourself. Where's OT going? Where's it going in the future? Like, where, where do you see this going? Do you see some more tech being utilized? Do you see more, uh, more, more close integration with, uh, with, uh, with other practitioners? Uh, you know, how are we trying to move the needle when it comes to the health challenges that we face? I think there is so much potential and growth for our field, and we've come so far that, I mean, I think the future, I mean, there's no limit for what we're able to do in the future. I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of integration with other disciplines and potentially, you know, occupational therapy delivery in, you know, in a system where, um, you know, we're all working together towards a common goal um, for that patient and being able to easily deliver that to, to patients. I think there is going to be a huge growth, um, even more growth with technology and the use um, of that with our patients, not just in the neurological um, arena, but lots of other arenas as well. And I think that that will help us with our outcomes and um, with uh, patients, you know, having uh, even higher recovery. I think those things are, are definitely in the future for us. And I think there's a lot of potential for research of what we're doing and, and how what we're doing really makes a difference for people um, and looking at, you know, how does it decrease their hospital readmissions? Does it improve their quality of life? Does it improve their psychosocial um, you know, depression levels are lower or, you know, whatever the situation might be. I just think there is like no limit or boundaries for where OT might go in the future. 
What about you, Melissa? You know, you're seeing seeing things in the school system, and you're getting more resources uh, certainly available to you. As I hope you're getting more resources. A lot of times, sometimes districts are cutting some resources. But how are you seeing this going and, and evolving from the school district perspective, working with our kids? Where are you seeing OT going from here? Um, well, I think, I mean, I, I, I always think of my husband. He presents at conferences, and one of the quotes he uses from Frederick, Frederick Douglass is, it's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. And I think for the school district, at least that I'm in right now, and what I've experienced is I think we're buying in more to, like, the preventative. Like, what can we do at a school-wide intervention um, in order to help these kids be prepared to learn? And it's not just... It is about academics, but it's also about that well-roundedness in the whole child. And I think that's the role that OT can really help in. And I think any arena that an OT goes in, they put a footprint in and then they make a path. Because they're like, well, I can do this, this, and this. Um, so I think for that, like at our school, we're doing an outdoor classroom, which is what I did my dissertation on, is the use of outdoor spaces within an academic day in order to promote that well-being. Um, none of us can sit for eight hours. That's a long time or six hours. So I think if we're looking at it from a preventative like preventative side, what can we do before they get to that dysregulated state? What can we do before they get to that you know mental illness state? Um, what can we do to prepare them in order to cope with the world, especially the world that we're living in so fast? And the technology is there, and it's that you know that impulse control is, I think, increasing because we're not used to interacting as much with other humans. Um, we're preparing them more at the beginning. I think it can just grow from there. Excellent, Susan. You know you've been you've been in the game for uh, for quite some time, and and, and so, so you've seen this evolution. You've lived the evolution. Where do you see this going? I think that the advances in surgical techniques um, for both my two specialty areas of the orthopedic surgeries, and then also of the care of the cancer patient. Um, and also the advances in medicines. Okay, that just makes the patient hopefully better, faster. The surgical technique is clean, not cleaner, I don't, I don't know about that, but, but it's, it makes my job easier as far as healing, because now it's probably, let's say for a carpal tunnel, again, carpal tunnel syndrome, I'm just gonna use that example, that the doctor does not need to make as large an incision anymore. Not as much skin has been violated uh, via the surgeon's knife, and they feel better. The recovery time is better. Um, I do know that there are certain surgeries for fingertips or, again, the carpal tunnel syndrome, where it's not even, that patient isn't even going to be seen in the OR anymore. I think the doctors would like to see them in their office using less anesthesia or, or no anesthesia at all, except for a local. Um, and then also in the cancer world, again, the meds and the technique of surgery, more fine-tuned, and radiation. I mean, just everything, it just makes the healing a lot better, easier, hopefully. So well, I've seen it that it go that way. Well, I, I think it's definitely going to continue yeah. to explode. And really, from what I think in medicine now, I mean, the reality is we are using so much more technology, but the reality is this. Technology is evolving at a pace faster than we are as humans, and that's just how it is. So, you know, prior to 2007, nobody ever heard of an iPhone. And now our, our smartphones dominate our lives. But there's so much that you can do, 
uh, now to really help. And, and I would talk about my patients. We're, we're talking about apps that we're using to help out with like their various conditions. We're talking about other kind of better, more sophisticated diagnostic okay. techniques, better mm -hmm. medicines out there. And what you all are doing is going to be a way to continue to unite uh, people and their healing efforts. But we're going to have to, again, have to have this conversation. It's like I always tell people, you may have an awesome idea, but if nobody knows what you're doing, then how are we going to get that message across? And one of the ways, of course, is doing this today. We're having that message to say, hey, OTs are out there to help you with any any needs that you have. Uh, again, nothing's off topic when it comes to occupational therapy. And so we want people to make sure that they have, they're aware of that, but see what this is going to I'm excited about this. Now, speaking of opportunity, because we know that there's opportunity out there for people to continue to access you all, the reality is, you know, we're all out in the burbs. Let's be honest, we have some resources. You know, in some places, rural America, you know, inner cities, they may not have some of these kind of resources with OT or the vast or the vast networks that we have here. How do we kind of level the playing field? I'm going to start with Mara on that one. How do you kind of level the playing field? You know, we want people to all have an opportunity to succeed. When you see your patients that have that have had the debilitating effects of a stroke, you know, some institutions have more resources than other institutions. How do we level this playing field? Because we want everybody to succeed. Absolutely. I mean, it can be resources like um, physical resources or it can be just um, support resources at home. And so as a clinician, no matter what venue we're in or what area we're in, if we can really educate ourselves on what um, opportunities are out there for people to access within the community, um, looking at patients who can't drive for whatever reason. So they can't get to their therapy, which is super important. So looking at what are the driving resources in the area and do they do vouchers or do what's the opportunity for them to have a reasonable way to get to their services, not just therapy, but physician appointments or um, get to the store to eat properly. Um, so you just, as a as a clinician, you're either looking for those resources to be able to provide for your, your patients or you're taking the opportunity to say what is missing and how can we as occupational therapists devise something that is going to help this group that's that's being missed, these vulnerable groups that, that need more. It's not there. So what can we do to, to get it there to help, you know, this group of people that need it? Excellent. Melissa, I want to ask you that same question because you come from a school perspective. Uh, and again, some, certainly some school districts have more resources than others. How are we trying to level the playing field? What needs to get done for these kids to have just the same resources available? I think it goes back to also like that preventative, that being able to do a district-wide social-emotional learning or curriculum that allows them to have those skills in the classroom. So if you're not having access to the one-on-one -on -one interventions, at least the OT can be there to consult with one the district, the school, because even though this, the district might have a lot of money, each school is so different within itself, and the demographics different, and either this, you know the problems are different or the barriers are different. So I think just even on a consultation service, and we can come in and be able to look at it and how can we adapt things to have it accessible to everyone. Well, I think we're here today to just try to talk the talk, but hopefully we can continue to come with come with some solutions, and it doesn't start until we have this kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. So what I want to do right now is I want to uh, come to my myths versus facts because uh, this is one part of the show that I love doing. And um, and the first statement is going to come to Miss uh, Susan uh, Miss Susan down the down the down the table for me. She's going to get the first question. But I want to do this. This is something that we've done many months ago on Tear Off with Dr. G, and it's really all about setting the record straight. 
And uh, again, we're talking about building trust and delivering truth. And again, you've met my panel, their credentials and what they do. We want people to get the right information from the right resources, knowing that there's a lot of misinformation out there. So what I do each week is I say, all right, we've got myths versus facts. I'm going to say a statement. I'm going to pick on one of my awesome panelists. They're going to say myth or fact and tell us why. We're going to do this kind of rapid-fire kind of thing. Let's keep it, keep it, keep it moving. And so here we go. Myths versus facts. Occupational therapist to the rescue. Here we go. Susan, first statement. An OT's main role is to help people find jobs. Myth. <laughs> Please explain. Um, I've, I've always wanted that title, occupational therapy, to change, but I haven't come up with a good one yet. Um, no, we are the problem solvers. We need to make that person functional in their world, in, in their entire complete world, their whole self. No, it's not just a job. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, when I was doing a little bit of the pre-show work, one of my, uh, the, the occupational therapists that I interviewed, uh, Amy, she was telling me that at some point, uh, now she has her husband answer the questions when somebody says, what do you do for a living? Uh, and so kind of setting the record straight, but he knows what she does so well that he's like, oh, I'll just answer the questions. But again, uh, that is a complete myth. Occupational therapists do not help people find jobs. Here we go. Next statement here for Mara. Here we go. Occupational therapists can work outside of the hospital setting. Myth or fact? That is a fact. Hey! Occupational therapists can work all over. They can work in the schools. They can actually work in um, like factories doing ergonomics, like with workspace. They can work in um, outpatient clinics. They can, I mean, there's so many different opportunities for occupational therapists to work. There's really not a venue that, you know, we can't be in if, if there's a need. Agreed, and I wish my when I was 21 and my naive self at that time knew that. So, so thank you for clarifying that. Here we go. Next statement, myths versus facts. Here we go for Melissa. Here we go. Statement, only people with autism spectrum disorder have sensory processing disorder or challenges. Myth or fact? That is very much a myth. And Please anyone, explain. Anyone that knows me knows I'm a sensory nightmare within myself. Um, I am not diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. But it, we all have our sensory quirks, I would say, but we know how to deal with them. You don't necessarily, you do not have to have autism spectrum disorder in order to have sensory processing disorder. They stand alone. It's just that people with autism tend to have sensory processing disorder as well. Excellent. So thank you very much. And uh, here we go. Next statement, myths versus facts. Here we go for Susan. Occupational therapy is the same as physical therapy, myth or fact? Well, that is, of course, a myth. However, in definition, but we do overlap now. In my day, way back when, no, that wasn't allowed. <laughs> but, we, but yes, we kind of overlap. But yeah, we are uh, more the fine-tuning aspect of the patient. And as I understand, I, and as I see, the physical therapist needs to fine-tune, but they do more of the gross motor, the uh, strength and... Um, putting the patient back together that way, and then we do the fine-tuning. Excellent. And again, there's so much opportunity to use OTs. When I was prepping for the show, I go, wow, I use OTs, but I can use them even more. Mm -hmm. And so a, a lot of times it's quick for even physicians, and I can be guilty of myself and say, hey, I think this person's got an issue. I'm going to send them to physical therapy. Mm -hmm. and, and so we can all do better, and that's why we're trying to clear the air here today. Here we go. Myths versus facts. This is for Mara. Here we go. <laughs> Occupational therapy is boring. <laughs> I would hope that that is a myth <laughs> um, from a 
from a clinician. It better be amazing yeah. because it's not boring. <laughs> it is not boring from a clinician perspective at all. Um, I am never bored. Uh, you get to meet all sorts of fantastic people every single day. You get to tap into your creative sense to work with people, to motivate them, to get back to the things that they love and want to do. And um, you can be involved in so many different aspects of the field. So you, you can practice occupational therapy, you can get involved in research, you can get involved in different opportunities that are just so rich in education to, to make what you're doing even more exciting. But the whole field is never boring. Excellent. Hopefully not from a patient perspective All also. Right. Here we go, myth versus facts. This is from Melissa, here we go. I need a physician's prescription to see an OT. Myth or fact? So that's that's a tricky one because it could go either way. It's, it's a myth and a fact, I guess. It depends on the setting. In hospitals, you do need the, the OT, the physician script. But then, like in schools, I might see someone that doesn't have a physician notice. They might have like problem solving that we're working on in order to help them. Um, so you don't necessarily need that in the schools. Excellent. Here we go. Susan, here we go. Myths versus facts. All right. I, oh, I like this one. Here we go. Uh, you like this one. All right. Occupational therapists can work on any part of the human body within the scope of their practice. Within the scope of their practice, operative phrase. Uh, no, not really. That I think is a partial myth. I'm getting these partial. I know. I'm trying to. I'm picking on you on this one. Slip me up here. Um, <laughs> within the scope, um, myth. But I, I, sometimes that just doesn't get the job done. That is correct. So we have to think outside of the box. Well, that's the thing, and that's the beauty of what you guys do. Is saying, mm -hmm. well, something I may not be working, we think about it a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but what you guys do is, is just awesome stuff. You know what? I might do one myself. Here we go. I'm going to do one myself. I'm, I want to join the fun. They're having all the fun. I'm going to pick on myself okay. on myths versus facts. And we're going to wrap things up. So here's my here's a statement. When appropriately applied, the use of the use of crafts and games represent occupational therapy in disguise. I say that's a fact. Uh, I think about even things like what you guys are doing with tech. And, and video games, also kind of stuff, you know, it can work with visual spatial approaches. It can work with uh, fine motor skills. It can work with improving your core. There's so many things. And the use of having fun and not being boring when occupational therapy is definitely a fact. And so you guys do so many amazing things. So what I want to do, we've got about five minutes left. Uh, I like that one. I like that. I like it when sometimes I get to participate in Miss Versus Facts. I don't do it every time, but I, you know, sometimes I just feel like I want to get in and jump in on a bandwagon on things. So, so we got about five minutes left, and so we talked about at the beginning of the show the chief complaint when people come in. When we wrap things up in the clinical setting, uh, we always talk about it called the assessment and plan, and that's certainly when patients leave our office or clients leave our practices and they have a diagnosis. But most importantly, they have a follow-up and a game plan, and the follow-up is key. So let's bring this on home. Let's start with Susan. Susan, give us a few take-home points for people out there that are watching us or listening to us. Well, what are some take-home points for them to know about the importance of what occupational therapists do? Okay. I would like to think that for our patients, um, let, let's say someone doesn't know anything about occupational therapy. And now they've met someone who's had that therapy. So our patients are advertising for us. Um, and the patient can say, well, I've learned about my injury. And it is healing or it is healed. I can now get back to my life. 
but also that they have the confidence to go forward um, and, and use that part again. And that hasn't held them back. And so hopefully that person listening to the patient speak mm -hmm. can understand, oh, I either I have something wrong, I need to get to the doctor and question this, and also think, how can I protect myself? Maybe by asking, <coughs> talking to their own friend, the patient. Excellent. I'm all about being your own advocate. Mm -hmm. You've got to be your advocate, but again, uniting with people that have had similar experiences as well, too. So thank you, Susan, for coming on the show today. Uh, it's been, it's been my pleasure, and I love doing some more. I'm going to have to do some more myths versus facts one day with you again, something mm -hmm. like that. But it's so much fun. But thank, thank you very you. much thank for coming you. out today. Uh, Melissa, bring us home. Give us a couple take-on points on what people should know if they're, as they're creating more awareness of what you all do as occupational therapists. What, what are some things that people should know about OT? I think the major thing is that any area that you're having of dysfunction or unable to fulfill your life to the most meaningful aspect that you want or desire, um, OT can play a role in that, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, accessing the simplest thing of getting out of bed and learning how to redress because you had a stroke, or a complex thing like being able to organize yourself to go to the store and get groceries and cook a meal to the fun things like being able to golf again. We can really help with that and there's such a, com people are so complex that we look at all of it. So we're not just focusing on the diagnosis or the disorder, we're actually focusing on like, well, how is this impacting you emotionally, mentally and physically so that we can assess and help you in all of it and make it fun in the meantime. Absolutely, I'm all about fun. <laughs> and you're having a lot of fun daily on what you do. I am, you're definitely I am. fulfilled in what you do with your with your craft. So thank you, Melissa, thank for coming you. on my show today. Mara, bring it on home, give us a couple take-home points for people out there to know about occupational therapy and the importance of what you all do. I, I would like people to um, think of us as a resource um, for all different age groups and all different situations and that we have the ability to work together as a team to um, adapt the environment or adapt the activity and work towards your goal of what you want to accomplish in your everyday existence. So don't forget about us. We're here to help you. Um, and we, we are, a lot of us are, most of us are very passionate about what we do. Um, and we look forward to seeing all of our patients every day. Excellent. And thank you, Mara, for coming out. You know, my final point is this. Occupational therapists cover the whole gamut. They cover the lifespan. They want people of all ages to live active and healthy lifestyles. And better yet, to prevent injuries or prevent other things that may happen based on some challenges in our life. It's all about setting that foundation, that foundation for success. You wake up every morning, you prepare yourself for your day. No different than waking up in the morning and prepare yourself for healthy living. You gotta make that choice, but realize that your physician is there to help out as well. Your occupational therapists are here to help you out. We are all united and unified in what we're trying to do, and that's to help you live life to the fullest. So thank you guys again for tuning in. I wanna thank my guests today. Susan Santilli, Occupational Therapist at Edward Elmer's Health. Check her out, www.eehealth.org. Melissa Chorney, thanks for coming out, Occupational Therapist, Naperville District 203 Schools. Check her out. And Mara Chioka, Occupational Therapist at Edward Elmer's Health. Check her out at www.eehealth.org. 
And I want to give a quick shout out to Amy Vaughn. She helped us out with some of the pre-show work. Thank you, Miss Amy, for helping us out. You've been listening and watching live on Facebook and IntellectualRadio.com. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2019 by MDG Wellness, LLC. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for next week. Next week's going to be my milestone. 50th episode, Securing Our Health Data. Check me out on my website at www.drmarkgomez.com. Peace out.